Lord's Health System, one of the region's leading healthcare providers, presents conversations with physicians, staff, and community partners. It's Lord's Health Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Each year, more than 6 million Americans are diagnosed with a neurological disorder. When your loved one is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, many questions may come to mind. My guest today is Dr. G. Peter Glebus. He's a neurologist with Lord's Health System and the director of the Cognitive Disorders Center at Drexel Neurosciences Institute. Welcome to the show, Dr. Glebus. Who is at risk for Alzheimer's? Um, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. The people who are at a high risk of being at Alzheimer's, we frequently classify the risk into the genetic risks and the environmental risks. And uh, um, genetic risk factors, the true genetic Alzheimer's disease is really very rare, meaning it it runs in each in every uh, generation. But there are some risk genes we are aware of that can increase the person's risk of developing the Alzheimer's disease. Now, we usually, on a clinical basis, do not test for those genes because having a gene does not guarantee developing the disease and as well as not having those genes does not guarantee that the disease will not occur. So uh, or the way we understand right now, it is probably a combination of the nature-nurture was happening and the env- environmental factors which could increase the risk developing Alzheimer's disease would be our usual, the cardiovascular risk factors, which need to be addressed, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. There is more and more data coming that uh, showing that people who are not physically active might be at increased risk, or, or at least the physical activity might decrease the risk or slow down the disease progression. Again, there is, there is some data pointing out that certain types of diets might be protective of Alzheimer's disease, such as a Mediterranean-type diet with a lot of a significant amount of uh, fruits, vegetables, fish, uh, healthy oils. Recently, it came out uh, one report that people maybe who are living closer to the to the expressways might be slightly at the higher risk. But again, this is probably at this point there is no reason to uh, to panic regarding that. Dr. Glebus, what are some red flags that a loved one or someone might notice in themselves that would even send them to be diagnosed? The Typical, the classical presentation of, uh, of Alzheimer's disease is worsening memory. Now, many people have this benign forgetfulness, and especially people uh, after the age of 50, and frequently it is difficult to differentiate, uh, at least initially, or for the people who are not professionals, whether the forgetfulness is benign forgetfulness or whether it actually could signify the development of the disease. The benign forgetfulness we frequently refer as as, as uh, just intermittent forgetfulness, and then the information comes back, or the tip of the tongue situation when people have uh, some difficult recalling, but again, it comes back. When it goes a little bit beyond that, then the person actually needs to be evaluated. And what's involved in the evaluation? How do you diagnose Alzheimer's disease? The first, um, probably one of the very important steps in diagnosing Alzheimer's disease initially is to exclude that we're not dealing with some, with some mimics of the disease or the conditions which can present with a forgetfulness. Uh, very frequent conditions which sometimes can present with a forgetfulness would be mood disorders such as depression, and depression has to be treated, and, and when, if we treat depression, then frequently the forgetfulness improves as well. And we also have to exclude some nutrition abnormalities or endocrine abnormalities which also can present with some cognitive uh, complaints. If we do exclude all of these um, uh, factors, then the 
uh, next step would be to do a more thorough cognitive evaluation. And frequently we started with the in-office cognitive tests, which sometimes can lack the sensitivity. Then we, in that case, we would proceed what we call with a neuropsychological evaluation, which is an objective memory and cognition evaluation. We have norms how people with certain, at certain age with certain education level are supposed to perform, and then we can see whether they're actually they're living somewhere where, uh, in the more impairment uh, uh, range. And, uh, the other thing is very important is to make sure that overall neurological diseases, the symptoms do depend not on the disease process itself, but on the localization of the process in the brain. So we, we want to make sure that actually if the forgetfulness is present, forgetfulness, I'm referring to forgetfulness because it is the most frequent symptom and sign of the disease, at, le at least initially, that we exclude any other conditions which could present like that, such as strokes, such as brain tumors. So um, anybody who we see that they have a, a memory impairment or other cognitive impairment, they do deserve to get the brain scan to exclude any other condition. If we still have any questions or doubts, then we can proceed with more specific specific testing, such as uh, evaluating how the brain is functioning, how is, it is used, utilizing the, the, the glucose and other any areas of the brain which have decreased uh, usage of glucose, which would point to certain pathologists, or more specific uh, biomarker studies. Biomarkers meaning that we try to identify the very specific biochemical changes which are associated with a disease. Um, in case of um, Alzheimer's disease, we could check uh, for the, to get the uh, uh, special scan looking for the amyloid, which is one of the components of the disease, biochemical markers of the disease, or we can perform a, a lumbar puncture, uh, also known as spinal tap, uh, and check uh, for the specific changes which would be seen with a Alzheimer's disease. So that would be a very, very general overview of the uh, diagnosing, evaluating somebody who we suspect might be having an Alzheimer's disease. So if you do suspect that and you do diagnose someone with Alzheimer's, what do you tell their loved ones and this patient every day, Dr. Glebus, about what to do next and what they can expect and, and how to give them hope that things will progress that the way that they will, but that there are things they can still look forward to? One of the things we try to address first is the safety issues. And not with the, 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 the person who is uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and their family into any dangerous situation where they, because of their deficit, might appear to be in. For example, one of the things we always try to address is the finances, is the person is still responsible managing for their own or the family finances, and uh, uh, that, you know, as the disease progresses, that actually the, or the, or the ability uh, uh, to manage the finances will also decrease and that the other family members or, uh, uh, or caregivers have to come in and start helping or at least initially supervising to make sure there are no mistakes. Another thing we address is the medication management because people, if they forget that they already took the medications, uh, they might, uh, and, and, and overdose it, they might put themselves into a um, dangerous situation at the same time if they miss taking the medication. So somebody has to, at least initially, peripherally, but then uh, to be, become more proactive uh, man, uh, in their medication management. Um, the next step we would talk about is the driving, because driving requires very uh, significant cognitive work in order to 
to to dry well, and uh, if the person uh, has some trouble, might put themselves or anybody else on the road um, at at the risk. So when we address the safety issues, because these are very important, then we talk what can person do um, uh, in order trying to uh, prolong their function independence or for, uh, prolong their functionality and that is to make sure that they're physically active um, and physical activity is very important um, we always talk uh, that there is more and more scientific data showing that uh, the uh, uh, older people or, uh, who are exercising or physically active actually maintain their cognition for a longer period of time um, another thing is the the overall, uh, the staying cognitively active and whatever, it's, it's very personal. You have to know the person really to, uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, come up with a, with a plan, but whether it would be, you know, joining some book club or any activity which might make people active. The social activity, social interactions are very important because when we are socially active, our brain is on fire because we have to understand what's happening around. We have to inhibit any appropriate responses. We have to formulate our thoughts. Um, we want to make sure that uh, uh, there are no underlying mood issues, or at least initially after the diagnosis, the person we, we follow um, uh, people to make sure that they would not go into the depression or, or anxiety, which can worsen the quality of life. Uh, uh, address that. Um, another thing, obviously, this is not a disease which we have a disease-modifying treatment, meaning that we cannot stop it from progression or we or we cannot reverse it. Um, but there are, there are available clinical research, which is a hope, you know, and it could give a hope, you know, to the patient or to the families um, to talk about whether they would like to be involved in any, um, uh, in any clinical research trying to find that treatment, meaningful treatment uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the disease. And what do you tell the caregivers about taking care of themselves in just the last few minutes? Please give your best advice for signs of caregiver stress and what you tell these people who love someone who's just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, what you want them to know about managing life with this new person. So one other very, very important thing is for the caregiver actually to understand that if they are not, if they won't take care of themselves, if they don't take care of themselves, and they fall ill because of that, whether it would be mental or physical illness, uh, they, that will be they will not be able to help for their loved one as well. So the the helping yourself, taking care of yourself is very important. Making sure that um, the, the, uh, if there's, uh, if there's a main caregiver, that they get some help from somewhere. They have time off from the caregiving. They have time off for their own personal whatever hobbies or or you know that they have or they they would have that time uh, free time. Um, another thing that you know they should take care of their mental health as well because this disease is not only a disease of the patient; it's a disease of the whole family or or, or the whole social network. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, or do they have to take care of themselves? The same as, you know, staying physically active, uh, uh, taking care of their uh, of their health, that is very important. So when the caregiver understands, internalizes that, they actually become proactive trying to create that plan, how to help themselves and how to keep themselves healthy. Well, it is so important to have a plan. And thank you so much, Dr. Glebus, for being with us today. It's really great information. You're listening to Lord's Health Talk. And for more information, you can go to lordsnet.org. That's lordsnet.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.